0: Welcome to this week's episode of Diminishing Returns, and the first rule of Diminishing Returns is please tell everyone about Diminishing Returns, because we <laughs> we want more listeners. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's not a secret. Uh, today, we are discussing Fight Club, and alongside me, Alan Turing, and you? Me? Yes, yeah, you were supposed to jump in there. <laughs> you? <laughs> Hello. Sol I'm Harris? Sol. Yes, Okay. Uh, so yes, alongside me and Sol, today is our very special guest host, Paul Breer. Hello! Now, now Brier is a friend of mine, we've been friends since we were very little, um, and well, not that little, but we've been friends for a long time, and I happen to know that you are a massive fan of Fight Club, or at least... You were the last time yeah. we really discussed it in any way, which was probably 15 years ago. So, <laughs> yeah, But yeah, obviously, this film came out in 99. Uh, so, yeah. Bria, Bria, you and I were 15 then. So, pretty much in that perfect age bracket, that kind of 15 to 25-year-old male that this film was aimed <laughs>
1: at. Uh, yeah, we were too young to see it at the cinema, but it was mm, certainly aimed at us. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, um, and, and I do remember, you, I mean... Not to get too far ahead, but I mean, I really like this film. But I do remember it was like your favourite film at the time, and uh, and I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this now that we're a bit older
2: and kind of times have changed. Um, But yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Really been looking forward to it. (laughs) Yeah, this was. um, I mean, this was my choice of film to to do on the show, and I was feeling similarly to you there. Really, where um, I loved it when I was younger. Um, I suppose I was even younger than you guys when it came out But uh, I remember watching it on television uh, And it was like, oh, there's split seconds of uh, boobs and stuff In this film, so that's (laughs) that's (laughs) pretty good It's mostly cocks, isn't it?
1: Nice day (laughs)
2: it's <laughs> a CGI Helena Bono Carter sex scene at one point. So, uh. But I, I haven't watched it in in forever. I honestly can't remember when I last watched it. Yeah, I was the same. Yeah. Revisiting exactly, it. Yeah. And I was genuinely terrified it wasn't going to hold up because this, yeah. this film has become. I know a lot of people who hate this film now. And I've read a lot of things that always list it, like films that haven't aged well and don't hold up. And this is a film that's often brought up in those conversations.
1: Really, I've sort of found the opposite. Like While I've been reading things, everyone still seems to go on about how much they love I it. Really? I think
2: as a general rule of thumb, it seems to have become uh, viewed by a lot of people as a product of the 90s, which it is, mm-hmm. uh, very much so. But obviously in the 90s, we were going through a period of everything being pretty good and <laughs> peachy <Yeah>. keen <laughs> uh, so the film can be read by people as a load of very well-off middle-class white men going oh I'm, i hate how comfortable my life is i'm sick of it
0: yeah well i i kind of what i saw that as that's more relevant now than ever <laughs> um and no, I, I agree got I, I
2: completely agree i mean that's basically yeah not to well, yeah, basically to completely jump ahead of myself, I think this film holds up exceptionally well. I think it's aged really well with um, yeah, hindsight. I, yeah. I think it's more relevant now than ever. And I still completely and utterly love it um, as a result. I I think people just misread it, frankly. I, it, it really annoys me. It's a classic case of people not getting a film that really isn't that, difficult to get, surely. Like, it, it's not that clever a film, is it? I mean, you know. <laughs> well, I, I, no. I definitely am. Yeah.
0: <laughs> my feelings are quite similar, and, and just to give a sort of general opinion straight up, I suppose, I, I do feel like, in terms of what it's actually saying, it's it's more relevant than ever. But it, it does feel very stuck in its time. I mean, it's very definitely pre-9-11 film. <laughs> that's
2: very oh, yeah. That's very definite. But okay. uh, but also,
0: yeah. it really leans on masculinity and ideas of masculinity that I think we're losing mm. now.
2: Well, that's a, that's another big part of why a lot of people don't like it nowadays. They point to it as a, an example of um, toxic masculinity being... Mm. Championed and held up as a thing, but then I, 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 I think that's think it... that's it. I think it's a complete misreading of the film to yeah. To but it say does say exactly.
0: it does lean on a, a more a, a, an older view of masculinity. But that's what was happening in the nineties. It was like new lad culture. It was like it was kind yeah, of redefining masculinity. Yeah, like taking all those kind of classic manly things and then redefining them and, mm. and reshaping them into something that was more kind of culturally acceptable. And it's and we're kind of losing that already now um because things change so quickly yeah but that's it but like in 1999 no one was talking about gender like normativity and um you know gender fluidity or anything like that it was you know it was a, it was a different time many many yeah. 20 years ago <laughs> i
2: i annoyingly haven't written it down so i've not got it word for word but um when i was just having a quick read about this film to refresh myself with it, I found a quote from David Fincher, who, who I suppose we'll get into him in a bit uh, shortly. But David Fincher, who directed the film, uh, talking about it, and he said it's it's a parable, uh, what you'd get if frat boys started reading philosophy. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's a nightmare scenario. And it was very <laughs> clear that this is not. Um, supposed to glorify the sorts of idiots <laughs> that are in the film.
0: Well, the ending um, definitely says that it's not. Yeah. Well, if we if we can I try don't... and start, yeah, Bria, you probably know more about the background here than we do. Um, have you read the novel?
1: Uh, yeah, I've read it twice actually. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's it's a novella more than anything. It's a it's a couple of hours read. Um...
2: I thought it was a graphic novel for some reason. Why did I think that?
1: No, they. Well, to jump ahead to to the end of the podcast, I suppose um, the they've actually done uh, a graphic novel as the sequel to *Fight that's, Club*. That's what
2: I've yeah, yeah that's yeah, quite yeah. recent. That's what I'm um,
1: but yeah, it started as a, a novel written not long before the film. I don't think, and I did read that when I was younger, um, when I was about the right age, um, and I reread it for this podcast. I thought rather than rewatch the film, which I know quite oh. well, I'll reread the novella because it's only a, a couple, maybe two three hours to read. It's not a brilliant book in my mind it's uh it's the film stays very true to it Um, a lot of the dialogue is ripped directly from it it's written very much in the first person oh, yeah. uh, from the narrator's point of view um but it's it's very much chuck Palahniuk. i think it's pronounced i'm not sure yeah. um it's very much his style of writing that it's a bit mental and he just seems to <laughs> write stuff down as fast as he can and get to the end of it and he doesn't always make sense and you have to reread little bits of it and it, it's a little bit jarring um and he's come out and said that the the film is a better version <laughs> of it and I agree with him
2: well the the film has a sense of that certainly it it does feel very stream of consciousness how the plot develops it yeah it on paper, it almost feels like a very poorly structured film because it it kind of it almost feels like it just goes off on tangents, but then the tangents all kind of come round and synchronize, and it is actually quite a well structured story, but it just yeah. has a feel of of rambling.
1: <laughs> nonsense somehow some of the dialogue is i mean in the film yeah. i feel that like some of the dialogue is really jarring especially like tyler durden in the first hour or so where he just suddenly goes off and starts quoting things about making bombs or making soap or, yeah. or anything yeah and um, but when you read the novel you realize that it's literally word for word the text that is ripped out of there right. it works a little bit better in the novel but, it, but it's yeah it's the screenplay is almost word for word for a lot of it it's, a, it's quite close to it. Who
0: wrote it? Who, who wrote the screenplay? Did Chuck Palo... Plur- uh, Jim
1: Owls.
2: Oh, Jim Owls, Ull- yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he you- wrote the screenplay.
2: So, I mean, yeah, I, I was probably... How old were you guys when, when you saw this then? You say about 15?
1: It's 15 when it came out in the cinema. Um, I saw it probably when I was in college, uh, DVD. I wasn't older enough to see the cinema. Probably, yeah. probably about 18, 19.
2: Yeah. Well, you see, I, I, I remember... Um, the first time I watched it was on TV, and so I think it was probably about maybe a, a couple of years after it came come out, so I'll have been probably about 11 or 12. That's fucked up. But I, I remember it very clearly as uh, one of the earliest films that made me really, you know, sit up and think, oh, wow, films are pretty cool. This is... <laughs> there's more going on in this than those Jim Carrey movies I love. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Well, when I when I sat down and watched
0: this, um, I was kind of ready to make notes and then I kind of didn't. I just sort of watched the film. Um, and so my notes were... Yeah, I did exactly the same thing. My notes were more, I just sat down afterwards and wrote some things down uh, rather than like, oh, look what happened in this scene, this blah, 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 blah. Do you know, like sometimes we have very detailed ideas. But this yeah. was more of, a, I just kind of, I ended up just watching the film. So I've written some general ideas down afterwards um, but what, what, just to start at the start, I wanted to ask uh, Bria, actually, because this film opens like setting up the ending and then we go back, which we were slagging yeah. off uh, the other week in uh, <laughs> Mission Impossible 2, <laughs> was it? Or, no, it was Mission Impossible 3. Sorry, it was Mission Impossible 3.
2: Yeah, I'm not a fan of that as a story device in general.
0: Yeah, um, but I was going to ask, is that? A device they use in the novel. I suspect it's not. I suspect it was put in for the film so that we could it is. see.
1: It's exactly the same in the novel. That's
0: very interesting. Because it certainly works a lot better here than Mission Impossible 3. It feels deliberate. It feels like it was written that way. Rather than, oh, we need to see Brad Pitt in the first five minutes. We better get him in.
1: <laughs> it's um, The book also, very much like the film, is trying to give you clues to the, the twist ending that I imagine everyone knows at this point. Um, in the same way, you know that the opening words of the film are almost the same in the book. People are always asking me if I know Tyler Durden. Um, so the setup is very similar, and they, they've stuck with that. They do. There's a lot of clues throughout the novel, and if I'd have I, if I'd have read the novel before I watched the film, I think I would have guessed what was coming at the end from the novel. Um, but obviously, I already knew when I read the book. Uh, it seems to give more hints away, whereas I didn't know what was coming in the film.
0: Yeah, I don't think I saw it coming. Although, when yeah, it was, it's one of those great twists because then you go back and it's like, oh my God, there's oh, so yeah. much setup up for this. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> yeah, it yeah, It's
2: probably the best example of that I can think of in a film, frankly. It, it, I, I love the, um, what is it, flashback humour he says at the <laughs> end when you yeah, uh, come back round to that scene and it's slightly I
1: different. I still can't think of anything.
0: Uh, but, yeah, it is deliberately disorientating at, at the beginning. It's kind of, you're not quite sure what's going on. You, and it's kind of jumping jump from one thing to another. Yeah, and that's definitely deliberate. But I can imagine that's quite annoying just as a casual film
1: watcher. <laughs> there's the whole flat building, the apartment building scene, and the bit with the doctor and the insomnia and then you're yeah. on the plane. And, yeah, it's there's so much going on in the first. And then, obviously, you've got David Fincher doing what he does mm. at high speed constantly doing computer graphics all over the place. Mm.
2: Yeah. yeah no, if, if any element of this film doesn't hold up, it's <laughs> the... CGI
1: um, zooming through work. the bin.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's not bad though, isn't it? Like it is. It was. I was kind of looking at it and going, "For you know, for ninety nine, that's all right. That's <laughs> okay."
1: He was. It was nominated for an Oscar, yeah. I think. But
2: well, as I say, that that CGI sex scene is quite remarkably well done. You know, um,
1: you still look, watch that for that reason, don't you? <laughs> Just I do. appreciate the CGI. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely like
2: every time it happens, I'm sort of like, that's really impressive CGI. (laughs) Did you not have Channel 5? Of course. I mean, yeah, that's probably how I came to this. I I had a a special VHS. (laughs) I'd sit there waiting for stuff to happen and then press record as quickly as I could. (laughs) You'd get like... 30 seconds of
1: <laughs> did you like cut it all together for like
2: oh man I wonder if I could find that I I know there's a Charlize Theron uh, scene on there somewhere because it, it cuts <laughs> she
0: starts yeah but it's monster like... it's not It's not what you wanted
2: <laughs> no she starts grinding on this guy but then it cuts to some pasta being cooked if anyone can whoa what a disgraceful
0: euphemism <laughs> <man>. <laughs> The the pre-internet days were
2: dark times weren't they <laughs> <laughs> oh god. But that's that's very of the era that Fight Club is a time capsule yeah. of. Mm. So we've come back round.
0: So speaking of David Fincher a little bit, um obviously he, he- the, the film he did previously, this was Seven. Alien 3 was behind him. Was He'd...
1: Seven directly before this? Yeah, I
2: think so. It was a couple of years before. He made The Game before this. That was his. Uh, oh, between yeah, the game. Seven and probably his least known film.
0: But it is a great film. Um, yeah, it's all right. The Game, yeah, which is largely forgotten, but it is a good film. And then Fight Club, which, I don't know, made him, I suppose. <laughs> Everyone knows Fight well, Club. You... <sighs>
1: It did eventually, I guess, but didn't this didn't do well, did it? At the, at the cinema, this didn't take a huge box office. It was critically panned a little bit, I think.
0: It's not the most commercial film. <laughs> Actually, that's one thing I was reading about the book, that they said, you know, it was like really critically praised. It was like this voice of the generation, blah, 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 blah. Didn't sell that well. Because 18 to 25-year-old men don't buy novels, so, so its demographic don't particularly buy novels. They do watch films, though, so that was why it was like great fodder to make a film. Uh, David Fincher, yeah, we, we know now he's a great director. Um, but uh, this film, when I was just re-watching it, kind of took me a bit by surprise because... I'm watching this whole this whole film, blah, blah, blah. It's a good film. Oh, yeah, that's a cool shot. This is great. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. But then when there's the moment where Edward Norton realizes what's going on and there's this kind of distinct, uh, you know, he's basically, spoiler alert, he finds out that Tyler Durden is him. After that, the film changes. And it was suddenly like watching a normal film. And he was like running around with Helen in yeah. the bottom carton. It could have been a sitcom. Yeah. And, it, and, and I hadn't even realized that what I was watching was so dark and twisted because yeah. I was just in the mood of the film, but then it clicked out of it and I was like, oh my God, David Fincher's is a fucking genius. <laughs> like, yeah. because, because it was warped, it was kind of twisted and I was, yeah. and I was totally on board with it and I completely accepted yeah. that, and, but I hadn't noticed it. And then only when it came out yeah. of it was I like, oh, oh well, yeah, now he can shoot, he's shooting it like a real film. And and that is yeah. great direction because I I just I completely bought into it. I wasn't even like going, oh look, that's yeah. well shot, isn't it?
2: I mean, David Fincher is one of the all-time great directors, if you ask me, and I, I think this is his finest work, frankly. But it, it this is such a well-directed film, just on on every level of yeah, it, it's just everything about what he does, which is this meticulous attention to detail. There's a few people I've spoken to who don't really like this film because they they complain that it's too, kind of, trendy. And I think they're getting a maybe complaining that it's style over substance, almost. But I think what makes this work so well is that it has the substance to back up the excessive... Style and panache that it's doing stuff with. If you actually look into it and read it properly, it can talk the talk and walk the walk. You know, it can mm. it can back it, it itself up. Yeah. Should we should we talk about the cast? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. The core cast is is phenomenal. I I love Edward Norton. Notoriously difficult to work with, but I I think yeah. he gets results. There's obviously something
1: he's doing right. I think he's a, a brilliant actor. Genuinely. Um, yeah, I do. I don't know if that's just down to the years that I was kind of watching films most, you know, American History X, Fight Club, um, were two of the films that I was just the right age to see, and, yeah. you know, he was phenomenal for me at that age.
0: And then, conversely, Brad Pitt is full-on peak Pitt, 90s Pitt, when he's yeah. just overdoes everything, and, but in a really good way. Like, you watch 12 Monkeys or something like that, he's just fantastic in it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think Brad Pitt is quite underrated, frankly. I think a lot of people dismiss him as you know, oh, he's just A-list, eye candy, vapid The thing is almost
1: too pretty for his uh, talent. It's overlooked because of who he is.
2: I mean, he's made a lot of shit but this is a film that reaffirms why he is where he is because he's a really fantastically talented guy. He's you know, he's got that incredibly charismatic quality to him, but then he's also... He's a very good actor.
0: <laughs> and I don't know if perhaps this is a, a deliberate reaction to him being a bit of a, a handsome bastard, but he he does like playing ugly. Like, if you see California, mm. he's playing, like, a really quite nasty, you know, murderer. Thelma and Louise, which was kind of his... Launched him. He's he, got, he You know, the whole point of that character is that he's sexy. Yeah. Uh, but then you know what's his next film 7 12 monkeys is like it's not he's not playing pretty characters he's not playing yeah, he's heroic not. leads he's playing ugly kind of dirty
2: films his stoner character in in true romance i mean that's one of his early roles isn't it yeah yeah um, and it's not again it's just it's him kind of making a fool of himself. Yeah, yeah.
0: He's, that's obviously he, he. obviously likes doing that sort of thing.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right the way through to what he's doing now. You know, he's still kind of.
0: Immediately after Fight Club, his next film credit is Snatch. I mean, that's that's the sort of yeah, thing. Love that's the sort of. He's <laughs> so good. Career life. choices he was making—it <laughs> doesn't make any <laughs> sense.
1: Can I save your breath and cured your parts. Hey, look. So what's a heck of two roof lights? Uh, the side of house frame furniture and the uh, scatter cushions. What match and Shark by Cover. Right. It's a terrible parcel to the party with the blue bags. Have I made myself clear, boys? Yeah, that's perfectly clear, Mickey. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, that's why I, lo- I love Brad Pitt. Though. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter is a bit more of a uh, an, mm. an, an outside choice. Like, I'm not where, what was she doing at this? Was particular? she known? She's just this. done
2: uh, a pit, one of her big. I think um, Wings of a Dove, I think it was, or it might have been Room for Review. It was one of her big. I think it was David Fincher. Someone on the production saw her in that and just became adamant that.
0: But yeah, she was. I mean, essentially a British actor doing sort of British TV and low-budget British films. It's <laughs> yeah, Wings of the Dove was '97. Is that it? So this was like Fight Club was something of an American breakthrough for her, I suppose. And it's a, it's a sort of a weird role.
1: It's. I mean, she's got the perfect look for it. You know that crazy heroin addict kind of feel to her <laughs> She's yeah she's uh, she's perfect in the I role
0: I guess 90s was a bit more heroin chic wasn't it
1: I yeah.
2: found apparently it was um it came down to Helena Bonham Carter and Reese Witherspoon oh, and the studio oh, really wanted Reese Witherspoon but oh, David Fincher wanted Helena Bonham Carter but then uh Reese Witherspoon turned it down because it was too dark so <laughs> they were left with Helena Bonham Carter <laughs> who I mean, I, I think it's is not never too dark. Again, fantastic <laughs> in this film. I, I think it's a really good showcase of her talents, and I think she's a fantastic actor.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this is the sort of character that done handled badly by director or actor could oh, end up like God, a yeah. Zoe Deschanel kind of um, <laughs> dream pixie girl kind of character <laughs> who's like the the, the and the. And the, and the, the the lead is like aspiring to winning her over or whatever, yeah. and obviously Hannah Bonham Carter plays it like you know a schizophrenic heroin addict, <laughs> so, yeah. which is more appropriate for the film.
2: It, it was weird watching this again because I I um, I hadn't touched this film since before my previous relationship, and it was just kind of weird watching it in hindsight because Marla is my ex, like <laughs> the letter. It's it's unbelievable. <laughs>
0: What do we take from before we get into Project Mayhem elements here? So, what what do we take from Edward Norton's character? Like, what are we supposed to feel about him? Like, into I guess the idea is what 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 do we what do we impose of ourselves onto him? You know, like what what do we see in him that relates to us?
2: Yeah. Well, what I really love about this film is that it certainly starts off as a much smaller. Uh, film than it becomes and it, it really does just start off as a in the mould of these sort of quirky indie films there, there's hundreds of films like this you, you mentioned that kind of manic pixie dream girl archetype, mm. this is like countless films it is very much of the 90s it's 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 this kind of restlessness because as I said earlier you know, his his life's very comfortable, he's got no real problems frankly, and he's just kind of I don't know, like acting out as a result.
1: That's almost a direct quote from the film, isn't it? You know, it's, we have no great depression, we have no issues, we have no problems, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And and yeah, well, without something to do, you then end up looking for, oh, I want the perfect table. I want the perfect mm. wardrobe, etc. And I think certainly at that point, um, I could... I could, I could look into that and see that as myself. I was a little bit young for it. But, you know, I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Am I, you know, supposed to go off traveling now? Am I supposed mm. to do this? And there was no... You know, there was no call to fight the Nazis. There was no, you're going to have to go down the pit because the family needs feeding. It was well, you've got all these options. You choose. It's you know, it's yeah, and yeah. it's almost the difficulty of having an easy life.
2: And I'm the, I'm still like that. And uh, <laughs> and I tell you what, I'm 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 getting a uh, an IKEA sofa on Wednesday. <laughs> I think I think it's a clippan. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that as well. I, I can relate to that. You've got you. that
1: sofa problem sorted. Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> but like, I, that, that's why i think i still relate to this film I'm, i still live like that i've not i've got no i've got nothing i've no idea what
2: i'm doing yeah you live you live in their <laughs> squalid house at the... this is
1: why i've been looking forward to speaking to Al about this film so much <laughs> because i feel like when we both first watched it we were both kind of looking at it going yeah yeah we sh- yeah fuck this fuck that Whereas now I've kind of like I go ooh, ooh a yin yang table oh that's nice and I imagine us going like, nah fuck it burn it do it <laughs>
2: Smash the system <laughs> yeah exactly the the house they they move into um, part way through the film Tyler Durden's house that he takes Ed Norton into mm. that is that is an absolutely beautiful bit of set design it is so filmic and and just lovely to look at. Uh, as a viewer of a film it's it's mm. far nicer like if anything it doesn't work properly because you just look at it and think wow that's got so much character and it. It, it doesn't come across as uh, unpleasant to live in in the way that it's supposed to yeah but I don't know. I I think everything in this film's done to such a high standard, and that that's you know part of it. And I, I think it is supposed to appeal on some level. They're playing up the, they're making it as romantic as possible. So I, I think it's intentional. But uh, I bet your living conditions
1: are sort of that, but not as romantic. It would, yeah, would that be yeah, Accurate, Alan. It's just accurate. I, I've been to Al's Al's <laughs> place of living. It's, it's exactly the same. It's. it's... Started to wonder if that was actually just a part of my imagination.
0: Like the the idea of kind of burning down your life and then going and living in in, in squalor and just kind of reinventing yourself. I mean, I, I mean, I have done that. I mean, not quite that literally, but certainly in, in the same sense of just like going, I have nothing to, I'm not interested in anything I'm doing, so forget it. And I'm going to go mm. 200 miles away and, and do something else. Start again. And I, I obviously do it in a bit more of a slightly controlled way, but not a lot of control. And I haven't, <laughs> I, you know, and I'd love to like start a revolution, but I just haven't got the uh, the uh, social skills <laughs> to get other people on board. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely. Uh, I think I'm more of a Jack than a Tyler. Durden. <laughs> I just need that. I need the, uh, the the schizotic episode to to bring it out, and then uh,
2: then we're yeah. away. Well, this time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the start of the film, really, isn't it? We meet him going to these self help groups, pretending to have illnesses and issues that he doesn't have, just so mm. that he can feel something to give that, him some sense such of a great meaning, concept. Yeah. Yeah, um, and then he meets uh, Meatloaf, oh, who I just want to talk about, Bob, Robert Poulson. oh
1: Brilliant. He's absolutely wonderful in this. <laughs> I absolutely love Meatloaf in this film.
2: There's some really odd casting in this film. You've got two <laughs> singer-musician types in here, uh, notably, and Meatloaf is the one who was, well, very, you know, a big, well-known star at the time. Um, oh,
1: he was... Yeah, very famous at this point.
0: And he doesn't do a lot of acting, or not, not like this kind of acting, where it's not the acting he does is like, hey, look, it's Meatloaf. <laughs> Whereas this yeah. is like he's definitely playing a character, and uh, you know, it's uh, yeah.
2: I've made a note, I'd have sex with Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> <Like you guys.
0: laughs> yeah, give her, a, give her a seeing off to.
1: Was did either of you two find that scene funny? Because it was supposed to be, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. When she's yeah, exactly. It's... <laughs> I've heard a lot of criticism about it, certainly um, Why? more recently, that, oh, it's it's making fun out of people with cancer and the desperation and it's not right. And... Yeah, but there's humour to be found
2: in everything. Exactly.
1: It's... No, I agree completely. It's
0: humanising her.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it...
0: she's like,
1: I'm dying, I just want to get fucked.
2: Yeah, I, I find it funny but i also have a huge amount of sympathy for that York. character um i genuinely feel really bad for her through that scene and i think you're supposed to it's it's really quite tragic and and frankly i think that scene exists to hammer home that what edward norton's character is doing is kind of sick and he's swimming around in waters that he shouldn't be mm. in and Mm. These are real people with real issues. I think that's why that exists in the film. It's not just to laugh at someone. It's, to, it's a classic bit of filmmaking. It's got a purpose that develops the tone and the characters. So,
0: But the, the yeah. implication of that is not just that, oh, she wants to get laid. The implication of that is that she's alone. Uh, if, she, yeah. if she hasn't yeah. got someone who's going to have sex with, has she got someone who she can talk to? Has she got someone who she can just sit with and cry with because she's going to die? You know, she's lonely. That's the point of that.
2: Exactly. And the the point of the film throughout is that basically everyone (laughs) is going through that loneliness and they just kind of deal with it in different ways. She's basically going through much the same thing as the narrator is. And again, I think that's a very deliberate choice. Can I just quickly mention, I probably should have brought this up when we were talking about the direction before, but um, I want to mention the sound mix in this film is... That's not something that normally, certainly, I wouldn't normally uh, really pick up on. Mm. But I, I was really impressed with uh, just the sound mix when I was watching this again. There's just constant, constant noise in the background, um, but it's all—it's never obtrusive, you know. It it, it all complements the scene. It it just noises and little sounds in the background of self-help scenes.
0: Yeah, I guess that just creates uh, the the reality of it. You don't feel like you're in a, mm. on a studio set, you know, a quiet studio. It's like, yeah, everything's going on. The world is existing around you.
1: Why are you talking about the sound? I don't know if you can even call it a soundtrack, but it's sort all of your oh, music. Yeah. You're quite into the music in general. What are your feelings mm. on the whole Dust Brothers music um, throughout?
2: I think it's fine. I, I think it's very of. Um, it certainly sets a tone for the film and it's very in keeping with the film and what I think of. I, I don't know if it was a really uh, I, I get the sense reading about it that it was really quite pioneering to have that kind of music in a film But
1: Yeah, I mean they'd never done anything like this.
2: Yeah, I, I've never really watched this uh, film without that just being normal film music for me because um, it's become so normal since. So I, I don't yeah. know to what extent it was pioneering and to what extent it was just where film. Soundtracks were going. It's, but... I mean,
1: for me, it works really well. I mean, it's it's the mm. first time, certainly I can think of, for a film where I've had that kind of music, and it's worked without me really noticing it. It's only when you listen yeah. to it, you go, you know what? This is a this is a really high tempo almost club track. Um, it's quite mm. aggressive, um, and you know you've, you've got that in Blade, but you notice that yeah. song Blade, in Blade and films like that. Yeah. But if you yeah. don't notice this, it's like you say, it's the background to the actual story, and it works. Beautifully.
2: Well, I, I, I read last night, in fact, uh, about how Fincher approached them because he wanted people specifically that had never composed anything for a film before. Yeah. Um, and he was trying to capture some kind of rough-round-the-edges, grimy energy that you didn't really get in film soundtracks. So, I, I you know, I think it... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big part. Everything about this film, frankly, I think is pretty much spot on. And the, the music's part of that. I, I think, it,
1: yeah, Does, it's great. Do we know if Calvin likes this film? I feel like we need someone to go, this is awful. I hate this. <laughs> we're, all, we're all loving this film far too much is the problem. I think Calvin doesn't like it nearly as much as
2: we do. But I think he likes it.
0: But, but Calvin would love a flat full of IKEA furniture that's very clean. <laughs> and and a regular job that he can go to every day that's that's what his dream is <laughs> He's, he, has no, he has no interest in breaking the system <laughs>
2: <laughs> but in theory he should like this film more then because it's a critique of people who want to you know <laughs> but, like you say, yeah, break know. the system it's, Calvin, it's a satire Calvin that. would
0: be the boss that uh, <laughs> has to has <laughs> to pay him off so that he doesn't look like he gets... <laughs> Calvin's the person who would go, they're doing that bloody fight club in the car park again every Thursday night, I can't hear me soaps <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Calvin would be someone who just spends hundreds of pounds on the fancy soap that Tyler Durden sells to those <laughs> yeah, fancy soap <laughs> shops uh, so,
0: Tyler Durden Well, let's discuss Tyler Durden, because this is, as we talked about Brad Pitt earlier, this is why Brad Pitt's perfect, because Tyler Durden is the epitome of like, that is a sexy guy, he's cool, he's confident. But then Brad Pitt can bring the darkness to it as well. Uh, That's why Brad Pitt is perfect, because he has the right look, but he's not afraid to
1: play ugly. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, on the nose. Um, (laughs) Tyler Durden is the person that, well, Tyler Durden and Brad Pitt, uh, the person that you would want to be, you know, if you want to change something about yourself, you want to be, have that devil may care attitude and just not give a shit and go off and live wherever you want to live, whether it be the, the woods on your own where no one can speak to you or yeah. the horrible house on Paper Street and, you know, to look like him. Marry Angelina Jolie. <laughs> really? Oh, you've got a thing for her, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <goodness. laughs> I mean, I, Aniston for me. So, you know, he threw it all the way yeah, as far as I'm concerned. Nah.
0: But that's it, yeah. He was he was banging Rachel out of Friends. How nineties can you? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that the ni- that was the the nineties oh. dream. That was what everybody wanted to do.
2: Hey, and um, talking about um, not being worried about playing ugly, he, he came on Friends and played the uh, the horrible guy <laughs> eating from, again. Yeah, he kept eating. <laughs> what, what used to be fat was that the joke? I can't even remember.
1: Hi,
0: hey, Sydney. Rachel Green. <laughs>
2: Oh, oh, that's right. Are, are you gonna be okay?
0: Look at her standing there with those yams. My two greatest enemies, Ross, Rachel Green, and complex carbohydrates.
2: Ugh, <laughs> uh, friends. Imagine if David Schwimmer played the narrator,
0: <laughs> and Matthew Perry is <laughs> <and> Tyler Durden.
2: <laughs> I bet he was. I bet he was considered. I bet his name was on a list. Nineteen ninety-nine. You know. Oh! oh. How about more of that, Rachel?
0: Rachel!
1: And... Oh. First rule of Fight Club do not talk about Fight Club. Or wait a minute, is it, is it talk about it? I don't remember. I haven't actually seen it yet. Is that awful? <laughs> wait. I'm gonna tell Lauren! Whoa, whoa, whoa.
2: Second rule of Fight Club don't tell Lauren about Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so, yeah, Tyler Durden, he's a sort of, well, he's a mysterious character. We don't find too much about, but obviously that's, there's a reason mm-hmm. behind that. But it, obviously the point of him is that he is the the epitome of everything that the narrator wants to be. Or, or this kind of, uh, not necessarily wants to be, but the, everything that is he's, he's frustrated about him. So Tyler Durden is free, does what he wants, and gets away with it. Do you guys like Tyler Durden? Do you think he's
2: cool? Ah, oh, he's cool. Definitely, yeah. I definitely did. I'll be the judge of who's cool using the coolometer.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Good lord! I'm getting a reading of over forty megafonsies! Yeah. You know, he's how how could you not <laughs> like Tyler? Um, well, what what do you mean by like?
2: Yeah, well, I, I, mean, know, I wanted... was
0: deliberately vague about that. <laughs>
1: That's what I was sort of, okay, yeah. In the context of the film, I, I think you're certainly supposed to like him as well. You know, he's supposed to be mm. charismatic. You're supposed to believe that if you met someone like this, you you he could convince you to leave your job and leave your I house don't know, and though. not care.
0: That's it. I think if I, if you met someone like this, if I met someone like him, I'd think what a tosser because he's so arrogant yeah, I, I, I agree. and he's like, he's like, here's what I'm saying and everybody listen to me, I don't care about you and obviously that's a kind of aspirational thing because it's, it's that epitome of confidence and kind of self-fulfillment but if you actually met someone like that and, you, and you weren't, it, it wasn't you you had to deal with them I think that would just be really annoying
1: Did you know that if you type 58008 into a calculator and flip it, it spells boobs? Who are you anyway? I'm Pilot Turton I'm the person you wish you were
2: you mean I wish I was a dick? Yeah, yeah. I I, I just think what a
1: prick. <laughs> at the start of it, when he's on the plane and when you're at the bar before they before they have the first fight, you do think he's just a knob. But it changes after that fight. That's kind of like the the time where they become friends and there's some solidarity yeah. between them. Up to that point, you do just think, yeah, this, this guy's a you know he's, he's just stolen a car. He's yeah. he's laughing at you. How, how's clever. Working out for you, you just think, oh, what a bell end! But he is the answer, isn't he? To the he's to the narrator's problems. He's
2: undeniably cool and charismatic yeah. and all that, though, and I I, th- I like him insofar as I think the character's great and he works in the film, brings a huge amount to the film. But yeah, I I don't think I'd get along with him in person. And but then he'd probably beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <the> fight Club, <laughs> and I'd go home crying. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like i said earlier this film really leans on masculinity i think tyler durden is very aggressive everything he does is with aggression obviously that comes through in the fight club they're fighting but everything else he does you know when he when he wants to help someone kind of like when he want, he wants to encourage someone to go hey you know reach for your dreams keep pushing for those goals don't don't just sit back and accept life he does that by putting a gun to their head and saying you're going to do it or i'm going to kill you obviously that's a deliberate what what the Films, for me, what that film is saying is like sometimes people really need a gun to the head to say, Look, you're going to do this. And like, you really need a slap around the face or a punch in the face to say, Hey, wake up, look at your life, and think about what you want to change.
2: Yeah, but then I, but I think the film is critical of that attitude as well. There's the scene later on as as Tyler Durden really begins to spiral into a nightmare figure and, and the narrator's in a car with him and some of the others and he, he does the same thing with driving, you know, taking his hands off the wheel, driving towards oncoming traffic, that yeah. sort of thing. And and the film's very clear that that's not cool anymore. He's like a, a fucking maniac and you wouldn't want to be involved in it. And c- c- Should we mention... um? one of the passengers in the car as well who we sort of skirted around is uh our favorite Jared Jared Lito Lito Lito
0: <laughs> he's not one of the people in that car see no he's no, not one of the people he? in the car
2: well he's he's one of the he's one of the henchmen yeah like, like credited as blondie
1: or something yeah, like angel that angel face is he angel face, face that's yeah. the that one
2: yeah, I mean, if, if there's anything in this film that leaves a bad taste in my mouth, it's that it sort of launched the <laughs> acting career of Jared Leto.
0: But yeah, he's not a huge role in the film, is he? Yeah, you know, he's there.
2: No, that's it. He's fine in this film. He, he gets, you know, he's just in the background. He's got the look they're going for. It's fine. But, you know, obviously, if he hadn't done this, he might not have gone on to do what he does now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so much Geraldetto hate i am not someone who is love i'm an idea
0: <laughs> so so yeah i mean as we were as we were talking about there um i think my kind of takeaway from this film is we we approach the ending here and i think the is is the idea that hey guys you know we're all a bit narrator and a bit Tyler Durden, and we need to kind of find a, a sensible balance between the two. Because if we go to Tyler yeah. Durden, you become a maniac. If you, come, if you go too far narrator, you're just boring and pointless. Because the ending is essentially a, you know, he Tyler Durden starts going too far, and the narrator manages to beat him. I mean, that's ultimately what happens. Although they do still blow up the, the buildings, but okay. So, but so is that the message that we're taking from this film? It's like, hey guys, find your own balance there.
1: I mean. It- Personally, I, I think one of the beauties of this film and why it lasts so well is because you can take whatever message you want from it. It's one of those films where it doesn't give you a, a specific answer. As a teenager, I was looking at it thinking, oh yeah, the system's come down, brilliant. That's kind of worked well. As I've got older, I've kind of gone, oh no, my credit cards. Um, and <laughs> See, I'm you know, still on the uh, smash the system bit of my yeah, life. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I'm more of the narrator now and going, oh, we shouldn't have done that. But I also, yeah, Like you said, I want to be somewhere in the middle, you know, I don't want to be defined by the clothes that I'm wearing or the things that I own, but I do want to own nice things and I want to wear nice (laughs) clothes, you know, I don't want it to be all or nothing.
2: Uh, that's that's really interesting actually because I mean my my takeaway and this might be hindsight projecting onto it but to me it really comes across as a, a sort of cautionary tale it's it, it's like a warning of things to come it's saying look this is the this is the kind of zeitgeist at the moment the the restlessness of the 90s there's this weird stirring and it kind of projects that forward to the point that there's Basically, utter catastrophe, and everything goes completely manic, and that's played out closer to the bone than I think anyone was expecting.
1: Financially, certainly. <laughs>
2: But I don't know how much that is just me projecting, like I say, with hindsight onto the film. But but to me, it really does just play as a kind of
1: criticism of
2: attitudes that were quite prevalent at the time. And
0: Basically, why I'm asking is because the ending left me a little bit like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to feel about this, because on the one hand, I am like, I'm with Tyler Durden. Like, I want to, like, smash the system. But the way he does it is to create this army of drones, and they're unquestioning and unthinking. And it's like, that's what we were well, that's what we were trying to get this away from in the first reading. place yeah
1: so he's using the thing that yeah exactly yeah, and people are already trapped in unquestioning and he's just led them to a different version of it
0: exactly that that serves his purposes even though he says he's just one of them he's nothing special but obviously he is yeah. and i think that's kind of there's that ambiguity of it that, that, that we go hey we have this we have this uh, thing in us that wants to rebel but then we we just turn it into our own advantage all the time, and I I think I like this. I like the ambiguity of it, um, but I think it's one of those one like I had to when I watched it. I had to sort of like go, um, how do I feel about this ending? Was this good? And I don't, I don't. I really don't like that he kind of finds redemption through Marla, like this kind of. It feels like there's this, mm. it, but it feels like it's kind of satirizing the love story, love will set you free kind of thing, because it's a, a fucked up love and it, they don't really even know each other, so yeah, and you know, the, and he, the fact that he, you know, not many films end with the, the protagonist shooting himself and then load of buildings <laughs> blow up, and that's the happy ending.
1: <laughs> Neither of you two have read the book, have you? I'm making no. it I
0: think sure. I did um, actually, but, but I'm talking like yeah, eighteen years ago, so I can't remember anything
1: about it. Because the ending is very different oh, in right. the book. Um, the Tyler mixes the explosives incorrectly, and they don't blow up. Um, mm. So nothing blows up, and then there's almost a like a very small chapter at the end where the narrator's talking about how he's in heaven and he speaks to God and this that and the other, and it basically is in a mental hospital. But people still give him the wink and go, ooh, we're looking forward to your return, sir." That's interesting.
0: Because, like I said, the, the, the ending for me was a bit, I don't know, anticlimactic somehow. It was, like, yeah, I'm no, not I, sure I what I wanted you. to do. But, it was, but yeah. I think it's just because it's quite ambiguous. And, and like you said, Bria, I think you can walk away from this film with different messages. Like, different people will take different things from it.
2: Well, I love this film. And I I was so impressed with how much it held up for me. Like I say, I, I think it's it was every bit as good as I remembered. And... As I say, I, I think it's aged really well. I think it's more timely than ever in the current climate. Yeah, I, I really, I will stand by it. I think it's a phenomenal bit of work.
0: I think it says a lot about this film that I actually feel better about it now that we've discussed it than after immediately after I watched it. Because I was a bit like, I'm not sure what the the ending is. And just having discussed it with you guys and talked through it a little bit. I'm kind of happier with it and I kind of feel like I know mm. why it was doing certain things. Yeah. So I actually feel a bit more comfortable with it now. Not that I did, I liked it anyway. I like it more now. Which is good. I think if you can walk away from something and discuss it and get more out of it. Yeah. Not a lot of. Yeah. Certainly the sort of films we deal with on this show regularly, this usually is you get what you. You, you know, it's, it's up front. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's there.
2: The, the films we talk about, you normally walk away at the end thinking, oh, I wonder what that post credit scene was setting up. Yeah. Well,
0: I always so. walk away thinking, Maybe I should bring down society. Ratings, quickly. Or?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's a ten from me. I, I wow, think this is a very deserving ten. I'm not even. I'm not even ashamed to,
0: to <laughs> say it. Well, I, I'm going to give it a nine. Do really like the film. It it, it just the, the only time I ever give 10s out is it's like we really touches me in a personal way which this this doesn't quite it kind of says a lot to me but it, it sort of says it to me in a way that of like yeah I've already figured that out actually thanks do you know what I mean I feel like it's maybe when I watched it when I was 18 it would have been different you know Yeah,
2: it, it's lacking an emotional resonance it's it's far more of a kind of technically minded film I think that's David Fincher mm, really. Maybe, but, yeah.
0: but anyway if that's yeah. why it's a, a 9 a good and solid 9 for me
1: I mean for me it's a it's a 9 as well. Um very few films is a 10 for me. Um perfection is a 10 for me and I don't think this is.
2: I've never seen that. Um
1: exactly. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, 9 is probably about the highest score I would ever give a film.
2: This is in my top 10 films of all time. It's it's in that's my how top much 10. I love this film. It it, wow.
1: it always has been. It has been since I first saw it. If so um, if, if
0: someone asked you what your favorite film was Brea, now, do you uh, have an
1: answer? It, no, I, I don't. I can't. I can't do it. Th- I can do top Ten lists. I certainly don't do Fight Club for me. I don't like it as much as I used to. Whether that's because it doesn't resonate with me as well as it did, or because I've seen it probably fifteen times.
0: <laughs> just to give us a, a sense of you, like, let me just throw it out. Okay, just throw a few of your favourite films at us. You got Fight Club. G- give us a couple more titles. We'll, we'll, um, I we'll love Brick. Um, brick. Okay. I, I'm, I'm oh. a
1: really big fan of Brick. Yeah. Um oh, I really don't like being put on spotlight. Like <laughs> Go on. We're judging <laughs> <I don't you. laughs> don't. Um, yeah. I I, I I don't know. Hmm.
0: Have Have you seen Mamma Mia? Oh,
1: fuck, no. <laughs> I was, <laughs> when I listened to the podcast last week, and I was like, "Oh, they've got Judy on. All right, okay. I wonder what." Oh fuck me! Thank God they didn't get me on for that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, this this is also in uh, IMDb's top ten. Um, really, if that's worth mentioning. I mean, it's that's very well regarded. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be as high up, but it's number 10 on there. What are the top 10 films? One to 10. One to 10. So number one is The Shawshank Redemption. You see,
1: I love The Shawshank Redemption. and and I ha- But I think that's another one where I have done since I was probably about 15, and it would always be up there. But I feel like there's probably things that I like more. I just haven't seen an yeah. awful lot of films recently.
2: I, I've never quite understood why Shawshank's as um, highly regarded as it is. I think it's because it's a very... Inoffensively great film. Mm. It's you know it's not going to upset anyone. Everyone's going to agree that it's at least like really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Shawshank. Then number two is The Godfather. In a previous episode, oh, I, I think like I talked Godfather. about how yeah. The Godfather was at one, and Shawshank stole its spot when The Dark Knight came out. And
1: I think The Godfather is massively overrated, personally. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we I think we've, you've discussed it on the podcast. Yeah,
2: we did an episode on the Godfather trilogy. We we slagged it off. Godfather Part 2 is number three.
0: Yeah, we, that's not as good as everyone says it is either. You can you can listen to this episode on dimreturns.com. Uh, go back. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what, episode 50 is.
2: So we, we've covered... Um, yeah, and then The Dark Knight is number four. That's amazing. Which I'm that's astounded nonsense, is really. still there. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of nonsense.
0: I mean, it's a good film for what it is. It's yeah, a yeah, great, like great it's film, a... but
2: number four is a bit much. Yeah, uh, Twelve Angry Men. Twelve Angry Men on...
0: I'm surprised that's so high. I love 12 Angry Men, but I'm surprised yeah, it's, I, I, I I love, it's Yeah, I do. It's
1: great. It's just, I kind of forget about it as a film. I think of films as, I imagined everything in the top 10 would be in, from the last 30, 40 years, maybe. How old is 12 Angry Men?
2: 1957. Yeah, so it's the oldest one in this 10. Yeah. Uh Schindler's List, number
1: six. Yeah. I mean, there's the- uh, Lord yeah. of the Rings. Ah, oh, fuck off, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lord of the Rings can fuck off.
2: Yeah, no, number seven <laughs> is Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I Which I haven't know. seen actually. That's the only one in the top ten I haven't watched. You
0: know we're going to have to do Lord of the Rings
2: one day.
1: No, I, do, yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to finally... Don't put yourself through it. Just don't do it. If I'm if I'm
2: going to if I'm going to enjoy any of them, it's that one where it's actually got an ending.
1: Is that the last one then? It's actually got nine endings. Awful. <laughs> <The wrong.
2: laughs> <laughs> well, look, that'll hopefully make up for the complete lack of ending in the previous two. The fact that I haven't watched that film yet should give an indication as to my feelings about The Lord of the Rings, <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to get a big fan on to to give a counterpoint. Uh, at number eight, Pulp Fiction. Oh, we're mm, doing that I'm next week. I'm
1: surprised that's in the top ten. but
2: That is next week, isn't it? Ooh. Uh Number nine, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That's I've a, never seen that's that. a bit of an odd. It is odd, isn't it? I'm, I'm always amazed that that film is as popular as it is. I, I think it's great. I really like it, but I it's a very, it's an incredibly slow film. You've got to really be in the right mood to watch it, and I'm surprised that as many people have sat down to watch it and come away thinking, yeah, that's amazing, as they have. Yeah, fair enough, I guess. And then number 10, Fight Club.
0: I do think that, like, these sorts of lists, and particularly IMDb, is it it has got this sort of big demographic influence to sort of 40-year-old white Western men. Uh, so there's a certain types of films that do better than others, you know?
2: Lord of the Rings, I've been aware we're going to have to cover for ages, but I just, I don't know how we're going to approach it because... It's tentatively. So it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of... Because
1: you've got to do The Hobbit film. as well if yeah. you do
2: that, and that's six films that are about ten years long apiece, but they're all the same, so it's okay. not worth splitting it up into multiple episodes.
0: We'll do Lord of the Rings and then we'll do The Hobbit films like... Three years later, split
2: it up a bit.
1: Ten hours.
2: I I was thinking last night I wouldn't mind doing a Peter Jackson retrospective at some point, Just but then you'd have laundry. to. <laughs> well, it would have to be it would have to be his good films that he made in his early days. I kick ass
1: for the Lord.
2: Then Lord of the Rings. You
1: shall not pass.
2: And then like everything that he's done since that's been a total mess. That
1: is a thing of beauty.
0: Anyway, so bring us back onto Fight Club. Um, Bria, you you seem to know a bit about the uh, sort of the sequel stuff that was going on here. What, what do you know?
1: I mean, it's only from what I uh, I read. Bria, I've not seen it. I can't. Really, I couldn't find it online without putting a lot of effort in. Um, it was only released a year or so ago, but unfortunately, it trampled over any kind of or one of the main ideas I had for a, a sequel <laughs> by doing exactly the same thing. It's uh, it's based ten years after uh, Fight Club finished,
0: and this is a graphic novel, yeah
1: yeah it's a graphic novel okay. he's um the narrator now called sebastian is in a relationship with marla still 10 years on and they're basically you know living the suburban ish life marla's bored she misses the guy that she fell in love with who was mental and um, tyler's basically a subconscious element of the narrator's brain so marla fucks with his medication um to bring <laughs> tyler back out who you know, that causes some kind of chaos um i don't know exactly how it ends or where it goes but that's the Synopsis that you can find online. Essentially, hmm. I mean
2: that that sounds very. Let's just do more of it for no reason.
0: Watching this film, I definitely don't want to know what happens afterwards. I don't. I don't get a sense no. of like, oh, I wonder why, because it's kind of it's an end point. If they're still together ten years later, I'm already out. I'm I'm not interested. But... Yeah, <laughs> I was going to
2: say that that doesn't ring true as to how they're portrayed in the film to me no. at all. I guess if she's sick of being with him though because it's he's not crazy anymore I can kind of 10 years that seems but too for long him to
1: go through that 10 years yeah and also yeah. Marla doesn't actually seem like someone that the narrator would be interested in at All without the Tyler part of his brain what's he getting from that in the 10 years well
2: she's quite attractive
0: I'm trying to start a tradition now with these guest hosts that the guest hosts really do the hard work on the pitching. So, so when we ask people, would they, we get them to come with an idea. So, Bria, have you have you got a, have you got a sort of pitch? Then we'll. I mean, we'll generally, of, we'll I,
1: I originally thought that I would do um, a sitcom. Oh, um, <laughs> oh it's a, this is a yeah, diminishing
0: returns staple idea. This is good. <laughs> okay, you've
1: got to live a sitcom.
2: Well, it's like an odd couple thing with Tyler and the narrator, or.
1: Oh. Motherfucker! It hit me in the ear! <laughs> no, um, yes. Uh, basically, you've got... Um, in a similar... It wouldn't be ten years after. It will be shortly afterwards. It would be about a year after the original Fight Club finished. Um, the narrator and, Tyler, and Marla are still together. Um, and they're looking to uh, buy a house or, you know... But they can't get a mortgage because... The credit, the credit system doesn't exist fucked. anymore. <laughs> so it's um, the whole episode at the beginning is based on them trying to get a mortgage and all the credit companies just go, we don't know who you are, we can't do anything. Everything's fucked. Do you not, have you not seen what's happened? And there's also, but I did have the idea that Tyler would be basically a, a devil on his shoulder. So it's being controlled now, but he hasn't gone completely. How I would work with that. And then I started looking at what the actual sequel was and saw that it, it sounds like exactly what I thought of. <laughs> just further down the line. And like you said, I don't think anything that was actually a sequel would ruin the film. Um, So I started looking at um, Marla and was wondering how a a prequel with Marla would work. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically, Marla at school would interest me. Marla going through her (laughs) early to late teens. Um, Are you
2: going to touch on that line?
1: (laughs) My God. I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Exactly. You know, you've got that... (laughs)
2: Well, do you know the story with that line?
1: Um, In the book, it's your abortion, like they were originally recorded, yeah. Um, I want to have your abortion,
2: yeah. yeah. Apparently, um, the president of production at, at Fox objected to that line, and they did a quick rewrite to change it, because they didn't like it, and they came up with something even more offensive. <laughs> to replace it with
1: yeah but basically fincher said if i change it you have to go with what i change it to yeah
2: apparently when they saw the new line they were outraged and asked for the original line to be put back and fincher was like no 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 you 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 said that uh you said i had to change it and i did so (laughs) that's that's what we've got here
0: well i i did have an idea for a for a um, a remake you know in in the the greatest tradition now of doing a, a female remake or a gender swap <laughs> remake, let's say. Uh, and I think that'd be great if we did that now because this, like I say, this does sort of rely on... on. A- masculine identity well the main pressures on women are sort of the uh the life work balance and uh, the pressure to have kids and start a family and be a good mother and all that sort of thing but also now you're expected to uh support yourself and and do a job of work and have a career as well i'm not saying i've got it written Uh, (laughs) but i think i think there's i think you could tell this same idea You, you basically questioning our normative sense of identities. Um, but do it from a feminine point of view and, and tell and tell that side of a story. And you can have the male equivalent of a mala who's like the kind of the escape valve, you know, the uh, the the person you use to. He's a bit weird, but he, you, he gets you away from your your regular everyday life, you know.
1: I mean, that could still be Tyler. Did <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out casting. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> I, don't know if that's, I don't know. I'm not. We're none of us are women, uh, so I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to sort of presume what the the sort of pressures of society yeah. they feel are but i think um expectation to have children would be, would be a big part of it i would have thought maybe like she maybe you have a, a person who like goes to like antenatal classes even though she's not pregnant because she's just sort of like she's <laughs> trying to find some sort of catharsis yeah. that would be brilliant but then like she has to disappear because everyone else starts getting visibly pregnant and like she was like oh shit <laughs> That's the start of the new semester. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she's having to travel from one, and then, but then she meets a guy there who's like pretending to be pregnant, and she's like, "What the fuck is <laughs> this? This is my world. Stop fucking
1: over." I mean, the joy of that is that no one would question a man that turned up and went, "Yeah, I'm pregnant." Well, <laughs> so they would just allow them to continue and go, "I just yeah, don't, 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 don't make, don't him, don't. make him angry. <laughs>
2: don't, don't, do <don't> get him <laughs> Well, yeah, you w- will not like it when he's angry, Edward Norton.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I do, I do genuinely think there's actually a bit of scope there for an interesting story that's kind of using yeah, the same I, I... ideas, but with a, with a different uh, perspective.
1: What would the tone of it be? Would it be a, would it be a comedy? Would it still be there? But,
0: no, I think you want to do, yeah, the same sort of thing, right? Got, you're going to have one
2: person who's trying to smash the system. Smash the patriarchy. Exactly, yeah.
1: What would they blow up at the end? A glass ceiling.
2: <laughs> I, I I mean I I've got an idea for um oh, yeah. a, a franchise continuation of a sort. Okay. You you build like a Fight Club resort, so it's not a film. It's
1: just like Universal Pictures.
2: Yeah, yeah. You go. It's like a hotel. There's lovely soap everywhere. <laughs> so you can have a nice bath with some <laughs> lovely soap. There's there's a restaurant curated by Brad Pitt himself. Just like eat it, all the stuff he loves to eat in films that he's always chomping on. And then, like, at night, there's a fight club that you pop down to in the basement.
0: So, this is you just want to start a hotel, basically. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, this is like. But with a fight club in the basement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. It's like Bubba Gump Shrimp. That's still going from. It's uh, doing really well, yeah. Gump. yeah.
1: So, a question of masculinity for the two of you. Right. Have you ever been in a fight?
2: No. I don't know. Like, technically, like at high school, there was, there was this like weird kid, um, a few years below, who would sometimes just come and hang around with the sort of general area where a load of us would hang around at, at break time. You know, it, it was great fun because I remember one day we told him we had a load of cocaine that we were snorting, and it was sherbet dip dabs, and we we convinced him to snort it to show how cool he was <laughs> and stuff like that, um, and. <laughs> and one day he came and we were talking and he he just out of nowhere just pulled out this uh his wallet and took a little like passport sized photograph of a dog out and just looked at it like mournfully wistfully it was like w- really bizarre at mid sentence uh and i started laughing because it was such a weird thing to do <laughs> his dog had just died hadn't it yeah he looked at me and said my dog's dead why are, you, why are you laughing at me? My dog's dead. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And uh, decided he was going to have a fight. I'm going to, at lunchtime, I'm going to beat you up. I went back there at lunchtime. He, 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 he we were on the, the field, like, next to this bit. And he just came charging at me with a big stick. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, screaming, like, ah. And that drew a crowd in, like you know, you get to have a fight going at high school, all the kids come, yeah, coming fight, fight, fight. Uh, and he came charging at me with a stick. I grabbed the stick and snapped it over my knee. And then he tried to come at me, and it was just that cartoon <laughs> thing where you, you know, you hold someone by their back. forehead at arm's length because <laughs> he was several years below me. I was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna get into a fight with you. I'm twice your size, <laughs> and like. For God's like, grow up! Uh, but he was like swinging his arms, trying to get me. And then a teacher came over and, and gave us both attention for having a fight, <laughs> which I think was bullshit because I I was being very um, reasoned and level headed. I, I I had every right to give him a swift kick to the balls yes. <laughs> in self defense. There he came at me with a big stick.
0: I think it uh, was when uh, you tweaked his nose. It went. Boop, 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 boop. That was that was <laughs> <definitely> too <far. laughs>
2: Uh, so that's the closest <laughs> I've been to to a fight, if, uh, if that counts. See,
0: I, I've never been in a fight, but that's because I'm very non-confrontational. But I think that is because of the way I've been brought up in like society and all this sort of thing. I don't think having a good fight would probably make me feel quite alive. I think I'm I, mm. the, I'm, I'm classic I'm be classic uh, fodder for Fight Club, mate. but then I'd be like Tyler and be like, okay, you have to be a drone and come and do this, and I'm like, fuck off, mate. <laughs> I'm taking over. Guys, I've got a better idea. Let's go in, let's go to a water park. And everyone will be like, Yay, water park! <laughs> because there we go.
1: Six Flags. It's playtime. <laughs> that's that's you remake of Fight Club right there. <laughs> I think Calvin's probably hit me. <laughs> I, I don't think that counts as a fight.
0: <laughs> All right, well, that's it. Thank you, Bria, for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you very much. Well, there you go. Now, they don't mention this in the film, but the ninth rule of Fight Club is actually uh, that you must listen to Diminishing Returns podcast and uh, follow it on, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Diminishing Returns podcast, Twitter uh, at Dim Returns Pod, SoundCloud, uh, Diminishing Dash Returns, uh, even YouTube, actually. Alan's started popping the uh, back catalogue up on there and uh, if you enjoy the show rate and review it on iTunes as well as telling all your friends anyway as you heard in this episode we are doing Pulp Fiction next week and uh, yeah it's a nice little surprise coming up for fans of Tarantino in general I suppose And uh, now to play us out, I've just assembled a load of of clips. So enjoy them.
0: The first rule of Robot Club is... You do not talk about Robot Club. The
2: second rule of Robot Club is... You do not talk about... Wait, I got that wrong. The second rule
0: is... No smoking.
2: The first rule of Fat Club is that you don't talk about the first rule of Fat Club. The first rule of
1: Tufty Club is you do not cross the road between parked cars. The second rule of Tufty Club is you do not cross the road between parked cars. Oh, please. We've been raised to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. Wait a second, you're Brad Pitt. You are a millionaire movie god. Come on, everybody, let's bash his face in. What's the first rule of Fight Club? G-string underwear. No, it's don't talk about Fight Club. Oh,
0: well, I really blew it. No one is supposed to talk about it. First rule of Fight
1: Club and all that.
2: The first rule of Chess Club is you do not talk about Chess Club. The first rule of Breakfast Club is we do not talk about Breakfast Club.
1: First rule of Brain Club, you don't talk about Brain
2: Club. First rule of Caravan Club is that everyone gets some.
0: First rule of Kill a Fight Club, you don't talk yeah, about... Yeah, I get it. No, I don't think you do. Elliot,
2: Elliot, please don't say anything! The first rule of Club Club is that we are not a Fight Club. The second rule is that if you're a hot lady, you have to have sex with me! And then there's a bunch of rules and restrictions that they've just now been adding because of the lawsuits based on that second rule, which... I'm not allowed to call a rule, that was my screw up.